episode of the Drunken Taos Podcast brought to you by our friends at Audible.com. Show your support for your favorite podcast and get yourself a free 30-day trial by going to audible.com forward slash Taoist, T-A-O-I-S-T. Beautiful. Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again, as the intellectual porn star himself, Connor Habib, joins us for a fascinating conversation, including our culture of unfreedom, the problem with lazy artists. Amnesty International's call for the decriminalization of sex workers to make people safer, celebrity based on nothing, super specialization, and the jaw-dropping news that someone out there is still paying for porn. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast, begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 81 of the Drunken Dows Podcast. They just keep streaming along, but as always, the introduction from my pal across from me, Mr. Daniele Bolelli. Happy February. Yeah, happy February indeed, 2016. It's flying by. So right off the top, our friends at Audible.com have been kind enough to join us for another episode and offer you, our awesome listeners, a free 30-day trial by going to Audible.com forward slash Taoist, T-A-O-I-S-T. They have over 180,000 audio programs and books to choose from. You download a title for free. You have a way to make it through the 14 days between Drunken Taoist episodes a little more enjoyable. I must admit, I did not think I'd dig it, and uh, I find things all the time. It's it's still fiction I cannot do in the earphones. I, really? it, I have to visualize, or somehow my reading is different. But if it's like a nice non-fiction, you know, you're yeah, digging. it's yeah. great. There's one that uh, there's a book that I strongly recommend in case I was doing the research for uh, episode of History on Fire about Italian painter Caravaggio. There's an audiobook that they do have in there that's called uh, Caravaggio: A Life Sacred and Profane awesome it's absolutely brilliant there's so many juicy stories in there so in case you're like ah, i want to try it but i don't know which book to go for that's a good one perfect selection my current guilty pleasure is a book called dark money by jane mayer yeah it's a it's a history of the Koch brothers and their takeover of the radical right of american politics as well as you know their father's dealings with folks like stalin and hitler and it's, it's how the billionaires took over our democracy with their giant piles of money. And uh, it's a book right up my alley, that's for sure. So, yes, there's also the Audible link in the episode notes. I have to make a mention of the great listener guarantee. If you choose a book and you don't like it, no worries. You can exchange it for another title anytime, no questions asked. So to wrap it all up, get a free 30-day trial from Audible by going to audible.com forward slash Taoist, T-A-O-I-S-T, and get your listen on. Uh, quick thank you to a few folks. Big thank you to 
really the people i mean without these guys there probably wouldn't be any drunken towers because after a year we would have gotten bored and that's it so big thank you to datsusara to onnit.com and to short design t-shirts these folks have been in our corner for longer than it's wise for any sponsor to do they are they have been sweet to us so if you can show them some love that would be great just check them out you know if you listen to the podcast i'm not saying buy if you don't like it just click on their website see if it seems like something that you can find in there you dig it and if you do great everybody wins and if you don't that's cool but at least you check it out and give it a shot and everything everything that we're sponsored by is something we use in our lives Absolutely. Because that's the only way to do it. Don't be shilling for some shit you don't believe in. Totally. And um, I I don't want to put a quick note out. I know that Bennett is um, undergoing some medical treatments right now. He's our palette shirt design, and we definitely want to send some happy thoughts to his way. Most definitely. Get better soon, man, because there's nobody that made kinder to us than Bennett. Yeah, no, Bennett is awesome. He's he's the man. uh, Responsible for all our awesome shirts. Indeed. We're at four now. Yeah, and speaking of four, I just got mine. It's green, and it's badass, and there's titty sucking in a whole bit, everything you can hope for. I love it, and you should get online and order you one before they all disappear. In, yeah, because uh, we um, made a relatively small order, so there's limited supplies of the EQ shirt. But is there a, ladies and gentlemen, or is it just one cut? It's just one cut, because uh, keep it simple. But yeah, we got that, and oh, you know what I tried from Onnit? I've been trying the steel mace. Ooh. Oh, uh, oh, the long stick with the... Yeah, the... long, heavy stick that you can swing around and feel very manly as your muscles just pop up from everywhere. And it's good stuff. I need to still learn how to use it. So I have some vague sense of what to do without hurting myself, which <laughs> I had is a, a start. I but... had a great uh, few hours with a uh, just a regular old pickaxe. Yeah, that Get, would do it. Getting an old uh, mailbox out of the ground that had yep. been reconcreted like four different times over 60, 70 years. That would make you manly. Just swing it one time, you can feel the muscles start to pop yep. out. Shabang! And a spark and a concrete flying everywhere. Be sure to wear your eye protection. Um, and I think I told you I, um, something that we don't get to do in LA very often. I went to Big Bear and I shoveled for two hours a bunch um, of snow just to be able to park my car. That was manly. So, but was it worth it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Big Bear is beautiful. I oh dig it. God. It's... Uh, I love the snow. I love it's fun. You know, I have seasons when you don't have them in LA. It's nice to be able to get the best of both worlds. Well, it's just funny as I come in down the 101, there's that moment where you can see the mountain ranges, mm-hmm. and you can after it's rained like it has. Oh my mm-hmm. God, there, there's more mountains you ever know. Yep. And those back couple of ones are just peeking out, but man, it's that bright white snow, and oh man, that's oh, Big Bear back there. It's beautiful stuff, definitely. Awesome. But yeah, if you're not traveling snow or you're not digging mailboxes that have been reconcreted too many times, check the Onnit steel maze. It's beautiful stuff. Go light at first until you're really comfortable with the movement so you don't hurt yourself. But uh, it's good stuff. That's that's one of the latest products I've been playing with. Is it more that you can do motion slow and an extended weight is out so that you're getting that that horrible slow up, slow down? Yeah, no, I dig it. I, I dig it indeed. And uh, Aubrey put together a whole instruction on it. I think he has only like five bucks for a download uh, of his whole instruction. So that's what that's ne- coming up next. I'm going to study the technique and properly know how to do it. Awesome. But having said that, yeah. Uh, so uh, links to all of our sponsors, that's Usara, Onnit, Shore Design, are in the episode notes as usual. And if you can check them and give them some love, that would be sweet. Anything else we need to touch base on? I think this is a pretty long interview. It's really a great interview, guys. I think we learned a lot, and he was a really entertaining cat, so... Yep, no, this should be a good one. 
today, ladies and gentlemen. Connor Abibi are with us. Connor, welcome to the Drunken Taoist. Finally. I know, man. It's like, <laughs> you live not that far from me, do you? Oh, no, <laughs> I live right near Paramount, so pretty close. Where the hell is Paramount? It's like Melrose and Vine, basically. Yeah, I mean, not exactly, but yeah, close enough. You okay. know, like, yeah. That's the funny thing about LA, is like, you can be actually fairly close, right. and you're still an hour away. You the know, distance it's like, is not yeah. measured in the same no, way here. Yeah. Today was a miracle. Coming here, I was like, oh my God, it takes no time to get here. Oh. Normally, I want to just open my veins because it's so painful. <laughs> it takes forever. But, Connor, you are by, you know, I think it's a classic that just about everybody who shows up through this door and we sit down to chat is uh, almost by definition a weird human being. <laughs> but I think you are uh, up there in our list. <laughs> Thank you. Tell us a little bit about the many, many, many things that you are. <laughs> or, I mean, what you are is what you are. Is the many, many things that you do. Lots of things that I've done. So for, for what the way most people know what I do or who I am is for eight years I was a porn actor um, and a gay porn actor. And I still would do that, but I've been really enjoying eating like donuts, you know, <laughs> lately. So, I, so I'm kind of out of, kind of out of my porn body. But you know, I did some earlier this year. Right now, I um, I'm still in that world a lot. I'm the vice president of something called the Adult Performer Advocacy Committee, and we work to improve the quality of life, wages, safety, health of currently working adult performers. Um, primarily I'm a writer now, um, or if, since I'm in LA, I have to say author. So people don't <laughs> think I write for some horrible, shitty TV show. Um, <laughs> and I teach writing and I give lectures around the country. I teach writing one-on-one. -on -one. I give lectures about porn, sexuality, sex and culture, universities and organizations around the country. The intellectual porn star. I love it. Yes, that's and great. I'm also a weirdo occultist, but that's not, I don't make money off of that. So <laughs> See, I don't bring it out. <laughs> that's a separate gig. <laughs> I got you. Well, let's go play with some of that. <laughs> How did you get started in porn to begin with? Um, well, you know, it's like, where, where should I say I started? You know, I have wanted to be in porn since I was a little kid. Um, I was interested in doing it you know, like even I have like a yearbook from seventh grade where someone wrote like "Good luck being a porn star" in the yearbook, so I know I was talking about it back then. Like kids wanted to be like astronauts, and you know, what kicked in? Like, what was the fascination? I think it was you know a lot of things. I saw porn when I was like seven years old. So this is the story. I saw my first porn when I was seven years old, and we had like a cable cheater box. You know, mm -hmm. remember those where you would steal the cable and. The cable channels were like, um, they were just sort of se sequential. You had a remote control, but the remote control only went up and down. You mm -hmm. couldn't like skip across the sure. channels. I'm 38, so if that, <laughs> that helps people understand this era. And uh, my parents had just got divorced. My dad got a cable cheater box, and there was a porn channel, unbeknownst to me at the time, Channel 27. And we were all sitting in the living room. My dad was just sort of flipping past the channels with the plus button my dad, my stepmom, my sister, and I. And as he was skipping over Channel 27, it was I referred to it in the way um, the Bible does, the hands of an angel 
troubled the waters of the pool of Bethesda. Well, the hands of the angel troubled the battery of the remote control. <laughs> and it just stuck on number 27. 27. And I just saw this huge dick and this huge <laughs> pussy just slamming into each other. And my sister screamed and covered my eyes. And my dad ran up and like turned it off manually. But yeah, that always works. Nothing like covering the eyes to make sure that <laughs> exactly they never think about it again if you just cover their eyes. Exactly. So that and then, you're right. Exactly. So that was this lesson I learned, which was that I carry with me now still about porn and sex in our culture, which is like, look, don't look. You know, yeah. it's this whole lesson of look, don't look. Just so, say no. Yes. Yeah, so that fascinated me, but. Then, you know, sort of as I got older and the other kids were like, all the popular kids were talking about porn and I want to do, be what the popular kids were talking Mm -hmm. about, but also sort of realizing, oh, like, this is like a job. That's what people do, you know, really? Like, why would, how, why would I not do that? And, um, you know, the reasons kept changing over time, but it was something that I always wanted to do. And I was teaching English at University of Massachusetts and Western New England College, and I was all set up to be an English professor. And when I was done with grad school, instead of being doing the normal path of adjunct to whatever, I was like, I should really mess up my life right now. Otherwise, I'm going to be an English professor, which would be a horrible <laughs> life decision. So <laughs> I completely support that yes. notion. Yes. And you know what? Like, I... I love teaching. I love all that. But the bureaucracy of the university just creates just dead brains, you know. Yeah. And so I I left that world and started doing porn and started doing this other dream. And that's it's not at an end now exactly. Like I said, I'm still really involved. But um, I kind of got bored. You know, it's, I, I find my life goes in cycles. Like mm-hmm. when I was really young, before I went to be a porn, I'm a porn star, I went to be an actor, right? So then I did this porn thing. But before that, I went to be a writer. So now I'm doing this writer thing and I want to be a teacher. So I feel like the things like disappear and show up again in, yeah. in, these, in these sort of mythic cycles and the forms they show up in are really strange, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I'm just sort of moving on. It's really funny because I spoke at this sex positivity conference like a week ago and this girl came up to me after a talk and she, she was like, so you're doing this and this and this and this and what's, what do you think of this? And I was like, you know, I, I kind of feel a little at odds here because I spoke at this conference last year. It was awesome. But now I feel sort of like I'm out of it. And, and, and I want to write about, you know, like literature. I want to write about books. I want to write about, you know, this author that I really like. And she said, oh, you're rebranding. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm just interested yeah. in a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know. And anticipated apologies for the several porn questions coming up. Because, again, <laughs> it's like we're just throwing you back into the this yeah. is what you are tell us all throw about me right back into the yeah. cesspool but um, <laughs> no eventually we'll move away from it but obviously you know we don't get exactly uh, porn star galore around here <laughs> to ask some questions so it's interesting <laughs> okay the, um, no as far as some of the well I guess one thing regarding the business today that's interesting is um, how does it even work I mean it's like that was back then there was money to be made mm. through DVDs, through that kind of stuff. Now we're just about everybody watches stuff for free on internet. How yeah. do economics of the game even work? How does anybody make any money? Yeah, well, it's really interesting because I started right sort of as DVDs started to fade out, but mm-hmm. they were still popular. So I saw that whole thing happen. Wh- in when my was career. that? 
2007. DVDs right? were fading out back then. Jesus. Yeah, yeah like there was, was on fire. Right? There was like a panic, right? Really. And um, and so I just like I noticed everybody sort of scrambling, and you know the real problem is it's with any industry. The industries are insular. Um, I mean, what porn companies should do if they were smart is hire some gamer to tell them what kind of interfaces people want to change the kind of interface you have with porn rather than just like, oh, well, we'll put our scenes online and hope people pay for them. No, you have to give people an experience that's not accessible just from watching the scene. Mm -hmm. They should do all kinds of redesign, but they're, they're so insular and, and, and silly that they won't. They're working on this old model that's actually not even DVD. It's VHS, you know, right. like they can't get out of that mindset. And um, so there's not a lot of money, but it's their fault. It's their fault for not innovating. Um, it's the same with music industry. Mm -hmm. It's their fault for not innovating. It's like there are lots of ways to do this. And it might not be comfortable for a while, but there are lots of ways to do mm -hmm. this. And you have to find out what it is that people want. I think actually like um, – I think about bookstores a lot. Weather, you have to weather the bad times too because you know, remember this like moment when all these huge Barnes Noble and Borders and yep. everything and all these independent bookstores closed yep. their doors. But now independent bookstores are doing great because they figured out what it was in that time of challenge. They figured out what it was that they could give people that they want, which is getting a browsing experience that you can't get from going online sure. or Barnes & Noble. So having weird books – literature and translation, small press, having lots of events with authors that you can't get from Amazon, returning the big business shit like Da Vinci Code, like have one of those instead of 20 of those on the shelf and being having a staff that's knowledgeable about books so people can have a conversation. Right. So that's like if people if porn companies would be learning from this experience, people would still be making a lot of money, but they're not. They're just clinging, you know. What do you think like in which way would it work uh, what do you think would be some of the ways that it would actually be feasible that way yeah well I think something that is really successful now is cam porn um, where people sign on and they interact with the performer uh -huh. that's what people really want is interaction right um, and you see it from people talking to performers on Twitter or through their Tumblr or whatever. Um, so people sign up for cam performances all the time. They pay for those. Cam girls can make a lot of money. Cam boys, too, um, can make a lot of money. And I think that there's there's that element. And it's I wouldn't just say, oh, well, change it all over to cam mm -hmm. services. But that element of interactivity. And that's what people really are looking for right now is a sort of customized or individualized experience or even if not that's something that makes them feel involved somehow. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's where I would go. There's I have two friends who make a lot of money, these guys, the Maverick Men, and they just shoot – what they do is they – their way of doing it is they have a model over they, – they're in all their scenes, right? So they have a model over and they spend like a whole weekend with him. And like they fuck too, but they film the entire weekend. So like they film going to like the beach or like right. the museum or whatever and like sort of messing around a little bit in the bathroom or like just pulling their dicks out in public for a second. Right. And so like this whole different experience that you can't get um, and that makes you feel invested in the person's life somehow. Mm -hmm. So you want to pay for it. Sure. Now, people steal their porn all the time, I'm sure. But – the personal investment in interacting with someone's personality mm -hmm. in one way or another, I think, is what... what kind of the social do. media of porn, that way, like... Yeah, exactly. Mixing the personal element of uh, get, 
having direct rather than being sort of the old cinematic model where there are the stars that are far away and unreachable and yeah. you have <laughs> some kind of more direct connection there yeah, and people always want and there always will be these sort of unreachable people, or maybe not always, but sure. that's still appealing in some yeah. sense, but it's it's lost some of its sheen. You but know? as is right now, seriously, how does like they shoot a scene? How do they even pay anybody? Huh. Um, the way it works is they pay you a flat fee yeah. and then never again. And so porn stars don't make royalties, which is of why course. which is why I'm like, you know, when porn stars are like, pay for your content, don't go to the internet and stay. I'm like, why do you care? Like, what? If that's if if you got royalties, I would see why you care. Yeah. But until the studio set that up and the producer, like the producers and directors, there's such a huge income gap between them and the performers that I'm like. But I guess that's the part you... that I don't get is like, how do they make their money? Because that makes no sense. Well, they still are making money from people paying for scenes, subscribing, all that people kind of do? stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I still have to meet one who does that. <laughs> you know, I just... I'm sure there's somebody out there buying DVDs to this day. Just yeah. Because... Yeah, I mean, I buy my music on iTunes, although now their new service is so horrible that it's made it like impossible. But right. I still like owning right. my stuff to go back to it again and again. But you're right. Like, I, I'm not sure what people's motivations are to buy that sort of old style See, I don't know why they do it, but they do. Especially because, you know, it's not like you're like, huh, let's see, what do I want to watch? I want to watch some. It's like if you just go Google, you can download, I don't know, 3 million porns right now yes. for free. Whereas, like, what makes you want to pay money for that 3 million one instead for that particular one? You know, Yeah, it's like, well, people want a curated experience sometimes. So every site now has, like, a look or a mm -hmm. thing that happens. So if you really like... You know, for gay content, if you really like the look of a certain kind of guy that's in mm -hmm. for the studio, you might pay for that subscription gotcha. and just have that one and then do free stuff for everything gotcha, else. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Or if you like just like a certain kind of sex act, you'll sure. probably pay for that. It's not that easy to find all sex acts sure. that you want to see, you know, despite Pornhub's mm -hmm. thing. So. And what if you're one of those people that gets off not on, like, the two minutes that you can see right. online? You will want something else. You no, know? but even scenes. There are, like, full scenes everywhere. You know, it's uh, that's bizarre. Mm -hmm. But um, what about instead, okay, forget the <laughs> big picture of the business on a more um, personal level. Like, when you were saying, like, getting into it, you were interested from very early age, all of that. One of the typical things that the people who have the, I don't know how genuine or not that is, but when people go like, oh, porn, you know, it's like sex without, quote unquote, love, you know, that uh. kind of idea, you know, it's like, uh, what, you know, of course, we all know on so many levels how that can be bullshit. But uh, the other point is initially not down the road when you realize, oh, of course, sex, it, it, can, it can be its own thing. It doesn't need to be tied uh. to any one particular but initially, how did you negotiate that? Was that ever an issue for you, kind of thinking about it, or was it just like sex is sex, yeah. love is love? No, There's... it was never an it was never an issue for me. Actually, I just I, I didn't. You know, when I thought I, I've always sort of looked at the world for whatever reason and been baffled by people's attitudes towards sex and mm -hmm. i used to say like i think i'm missing a chip in my brain but then one day someone was like no 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 you have an extra chip in your brain yeah. i was yeah. like oh okay like i 
I always found people's attitudes, it was always strange to me. Like, why do people have to cover their genitals? Why can't people, like, why can you eat a sandwich at the office and, like, take a shit in the office bathroom that, like, stinks up the place, but you can't jerk off at your desk? Like, this is a bodily function. <laughs> this is, like, part of human experience. What's the, what's the deal? Why? I right. don't get it. And why is nobody asking this question? Why are we accepting mm-hmm. it? Why do women have to wear shirts, but men can't? You know, like, a- everything just always seems so strange to me and so so then when i got to that it's not like i like it every single time i do a scene but i i definitely was like it it was easy it was easy for me i mean i I had to unpack some of the shame and stuff that i had absorbed we all absorb it even if you're sexually um liberated like you not saying i am necessarily but you still you have to unpack a lot of the shit that you absorb Mm -hmm. you know no, because that's uh, doesn't matter whether you grow up in a religious family or not. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Mm. In, I mean, it, it's matter of degrees, of course. But you're right. There's a level of cultural shame associated with sex mm. that you're just gonna it's sort of injected in you no matter what. Just by growing up in, uh, in within a certain social context, it's gonna be there. Especially totally. in the U.S. I mean, we're terrible about it. It's yeah. funny, funny how we get to moan about burkas. Uh, uh, I know. A woman to take her shirt off on the beach is like, oh, I know. This is going to ruin the day, man. No, it's not. Yeah, it it really is like this weird, like, we look at other cultures as so sexually backwards and we have all our own versions of it. It's really funny because Chris Ryan, who I'm sure your listeners will know, he and I had a little, like, tension because he would send me these messages like, man, I really want to follow you on Twitter, but, like, I don't want to see your dick all the time. I saw that. And I'm like, Chris, like, like if you don't if you think that like my pictures of my dick and like my thoughts are somehow separate and you just want one like you're missing the point (laughs) like it's all me like you you gotta you gotta get used to all of it so then i posted this like sort of subtweet to him but it it was to anybody that was in that mode which was like i have a I have a dick. Sometimes I post pictures of it. I also have thoughts. Sometimes I post them. Can't deal with both. Get over it. You know, like, (laughs) and now Chris follows me on, now Chris follows me on Twitter. But um, it was funny that even someone like him who is really, you know, sophisticated and has this sort of advanced Mm -hmm. thinking around sex, it's still like there's something offensive about the, there's something offensive about seeing a penis or something right. offensive about seeing two people have sex. Why is that? And mm-hmm. I, I don't blame him for it. Everybody's like that. Yep. I have my own versions of it. I don't hold it against him. But it doesn't matter how far along you get. There's still this response. Mm-hmm. And why? And uh, that's really interesting to me. I want to know why that is. And maybe it should be that way. I have no idea. I don't I don't have a judgment on it, but I'm not willing to make the judgment out of reflex. I want to really make the judgment intentionally. Right. What do you think about the access to porn for kids? Because mm-hmm. obviously born in the 70s, growing up in the 80s, it wasn't the easiest thing in the world to get a hold of. You had to know somebody's dad had a footlocker <laughs> or this shit. Or as I've heard many times and awfully true, finding porn in the woods. There always seemed to be a damn penthouse. I mean, I'll never forget the first penthouse I opened and saw the pit of Sarlacc for the first time and didn't know what the fuck that was. But that was sort of a, a more gentle way to get into it. And when you have kids that can get into some insane shit as their first notions, like, I don't get the choking and the, you know, the, the violent aspects that are in a lot of these scenes that you could just stumble upon. Do you think we're going to have a big shift in a mindset of people that are, you know, at a very young age exposed to some incredibly 
hardcore shit. Yeah, I hope so. Um, and what my that's actually a hopeful thing for me. Not because I think kids should be looking at porn or not looking at porn. I mean, kids have a different kids have a different structure of consciousness. They have their own sexualities, but their entire structure of consciousness is different. So how they relate to sex is going to be completely different than the way we do. In in the time we live in now, it's really bizarre because a lot of high school kids know more about sex than adults do um, because they grew up in a, a world that was giving them information about sex that adults did not have. So um, as far as kids seeing pornography, what this does, what the hopeful aspect of it for me is it – forces us to take on the responsibility of real conversations about sex with kids. Um, kids don't – kids are not going to see choking in porn and then suddenly form their entire view of sex around that um, unless we allow them to because we've never given them a conversation about it. And also the thing that we really can't do is say like, okay, like choking someone during sex is bad when like, what if that kid wants to be choked during sex when they become an adult no, or, or, you know, or, or, or vice versa. That's like, you know, and that's a place to ritualize consent around, you know, around violence instead of enacting it out in their lives. They enact it in a, a consensual ritualized way with a consenting partner in se a sex act. But it's like, this gives us an opportunity to have these conversations, not only an opportunity, but it's a demand that we have these conversations that for the entirety of our culture, we've like never had, you know, but we haven't had since this country was founded. So I think it's really important and, and really hopeful in that regard, as long as we don't mess those conversations up, you know. And I think in that regard is because so many adults are fucked up about sex and they don't <laughs> really know what they think, why they think it, how they you know, there's this weird double standard of what people think they are supposed to believe about sex and what they actually want mm -hmm. instinct-wise. And there's kind of this internal war going on with people which drives them a little bit schizophrenic and weird about st sex. Of course, they are not going to be able to have a conversation with kids who don't respond to the same filters because they haven't adopted them yet. And yet, and I mean, this is one of the huge taboos that nobody want to deal with because it's uh, because of the obvious potential for things to go wrong but the fact that kids from the time you are i don't even know when but like from the time you're an infant you have a sexuality mm -hmm. it's not that it's suddenly boom you hit puberty and uh, now you have a sexuality mm -hmm. you have a sexuality since when you're a very very little kid it doesn't take a genius to figure out that it's like hmm rubbing around <laughs> that feels kind of good mm -hmm. i think i'm gonna continue doing that you know <laughs> and when suddenly parents are just like you can't do that don't and not even don't in public which is weird enough to mm -hmm. tell a kid because it's like what's the problem if i want to do it in public and he's like well some people are weird about it and they're like but why are they weird you know that's already an interesting conversation but at least you're not giving them the message that the thing itself is wrong mm -hmm. is that you know, it's the, the same way as you don't go take a shit next to somebody's shoes. You, right. <laughs> there are certain things are not bad, but, you know, there's a context. That's already a, a difficult conversation, but an interesting one at least. No, the most, for the most part is you don't. It's bad. Mm -hmm. But why can't? Because it's bad. And I told you. And it's like, you just took the first step to making this person way sexually insecure and weird about their own feelings and their own body and everything else. And the, the reality is kids do that. 
right it's of course it's like it's not even a consciously sexual thing it's like that feels kind of good i'm gonna keep playing there what you're talking about is that the default setting for sex in our culture is fundamentalism so we talk about fundamentalism in all these other places in religion there's a book by this guy cj Worleman out called the new atheist threat which is about secular fundamentalism which is not, which is a good book. I just talked to him the other day. There's all sorts of, there's economic fundamentalism, profit at any, but the default setting, and none of us see it when it comes to sex, is fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. It's don't do this in public. Like you said, it, when, when, you, when you talk to a kid, the conversation should be don't do this in public because right now there's a culture set up that doesn't understand why you're doing that yeah. in public, yeah. right? And then that doesn't create sexual tension around exactly. wanting to do it in public and not being able to. It's just like, this isn't you. This is how the world is yep. set up. Encounter the rest of the world. Understand that. Yep. And if you want to do it in public, find a public place where it's acceptable. Right. Go to a bathhouse. Go to like some sort of sex party. Go to whatever. But you're not setting you're not setting a kid up to grow up as an adult who has all this tension around wanting mm-hmm. to do something in public and for rerouting their the contours of their desire i mean it's just yeah bizarre. back to channel 27 and yeah. it's like cover the eyes because <laughs> exactly. it's bad it's like uh, you know that's just kind of weird that mentality yeah and it does create fucked up human beings who <laughs> then are going to go in some way it doesn't surprise me like to me is there's a lot I have, um, well, due to my taste, not a whole lot of experience in watching gay porn, but from uh-huh. seeing heterosexual porn is just, it's kind of strange to me because on one level, there's an obvious fascination of, hey, hot people having sex. Mm-hmm. I'm interested. I want to watch 72 hours of that straight, <laughs> you know? And on the other level, there is a vibe that sometimes is not a vibe that I particularly enjoy. You know, sometimes there's a vibe like there was uh, some people like even Nina Hartley was saying now some of the people who the producers, the kind of the big guys behind porn. He says so many of the guys I know are some of the brains behind the porn industry are the most sexually repressed people in the world. And they have really weird attitudes about sex. And to me, some of it shows up because it's rather than just being, hey, sex, fun, let's go play with voyeuristic other people want to see the fact that there are hot people having sex it turns into like i don't know there's a lot of weird shit about women in heterosexual porn like sometimes the vibe is heavily like clearly guys were frustrated who got overlooked by women in their life and finally have a chance to <laughs> ah, i'll wage my power here i'll show you all you bitches who never give me a chance before fuck you all and it's like whoa 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 that's a bad vibe you're putting out there that's just a nasty attitude and it shows up you know and not necessarily in the actions but in the general tone behind it there's so much repression and frustration there and it's well i mean any art is going any art form is going to absorb the sort of zeitgeist and express it right and Mm -hmm. porn is no different I mean, you can see it as art or not, but it's it's going to be no different in cultural expression. So when you see porn that you are sort of feeling weird about or that doesn't feel right for you, which might, might by the way, I have to say, feel great for someone else and mm-hmm. be exactly what they want to see, men and women, um, 
No, in fact, Which by I, the way, I'm not saying, oh, then that should be legal because right, I don't right, right, like right. it. I'm saying, hey, consenting adults do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. I find a weird vibe there. Yeah. Like, I find it not a healthy one. But, hey, you know, works so, for you, do your thing. Right. Well, that's an interesting – that's that's a better way. That I wish more people were saying that. Like, I need to – I need to turn this question to myself. Why does that feel weird for me? Mm -hmm. Why would that not be healthy for me? Am I right that that wouldn't be healthy for me? Is that, in fact, maybe the thing I'm longing to do but cannot? I'm not saying in your sure, case, sure, sure, but sure. All, all these questions, we should pose these questions to ourselves because what we don't see and what we don't think is um, the largest part of the porn industry is – uh, the, the largest group in the porn industry are the viewers and consumers. Mm -hmm. We interact – as viewers and consumers sexually with pornography and we have a responsibility to be better viewers and better consumers of pornography and that takes questioning ourselves so when people all the time they're like what can i do to make the porn industry better or ethical porn or whatever um my friend john ronson the journalist and i have been talking about this a lot lately mm -hmm. and i'm always like john it's not about anything in the industry if you're not in the industry who cares stay out of that question we'll deal with that as an outsider to the industry what, and, and I'm not coming down John like he's really awesome and thoughtful about it but what I say is as an outsider what you can do is turn it inward and ask yourself how can I be a better viewer of this and that means how can I confront my own sexual attitudes mm -hmm. my own feelings about these things and really come to a place that's happy about it how can I integrate this into my conversations how can I ask myself questions we don't have any education for that at all ever and we don't have any idea that there's a continuity between viewer and art so like one of the things that really is showing this to everybody now which i love it's not porn related well sort of is donald trump as a presidential candidate the only reason he's there is because we watched as a culture that stupid fucking show he was on so now we see that very clearly that there is a deep continuity between consuming shitty art and loving it and having a shitty world. Mm -hmm. So there's no excuse anymore. If you like shitty art, okay, great. We all deserve time to relax. On the other hand, if you like shitty art, maybe you want to start clearing the lens so you start liking better stuff. Mm -hmm. There are different kinds of porn. Sure. There are different kinds of, of TV shows, different kinds of movies. And you know what? You can still – I love watching every show that Gordon Ramsay is on, right? And a lot of that's just garbage TV. I love these like cooking competition mm -hmm. shows. So you can still relax into it, but at least do some inner work to counter and counter that and cultivate your taste for something that's a little more intelligent, has some more substance. No, completely agreed. And in that regard, I acknowledge that you know the market will give what people want at the end of the day. So it's obviously a reflection of the fact that that's what a lot of people dig. And I completely understand that, you know, my taste may be, like, I don't know, I'm like, in that sense, I'm like the worst heterosexual man in history because to <laughs> me it's like porn. I like story porn. I like to have, uh, I like something beside, uh, okay, ready, start, sex now. I like context. Context to me makes it cooler, makes it mm -hmm. deeper, makes it more interesting, makes it... That's in an odd kind of way. That's why I always enjoyed history since when I was a little mm -hmm. kid. Because I was like, it gave a flavor to then my fantasy of then hooking <laughs> up with this hot woman. Uh -huh. In a whole context, it made the whole thing 10 times. That fantasy was 10 times better than if he was just naked. Me, do, you. You know, it was like, right. that doesn't, I mean, not that there's anything wrong. I don't mind, but it 
doesn't do it quite to the same level. So I get it. You know, some stuff, if you tell the average heterosexual guy, you know, give me story with porn, he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You know, that's what the fast, for- fast forward button is for. Yeah. So it's, I get that. To me, it's just a matter of um, my personal thing. I don't enjoy the, like, power play associated with sex. Mm. You know, when it's about establishing hierarchy that kind of thing is like i i dislike enough hierarchy in everyday world in every other aspect mm-hmm. i don't need it tied to sex it kind of rubbed me wrong then as having said that of course is you know there's a whole thing if you have somebody if you take hierarchy even in uh, action and you have like the whole snm thing somebody who is fully masochist somebody who is sadist then they dig it hey that's a marriage made in heaven right it's like they work perfectly for each other and it works and it works for everybody with dicks that i'm purely talking in fact i would never legislate based on my own taste you know it's like mm-hmm. what the fuck? that's my taste i don't right? watch your stories boys yeah it's like <laughs> it's you know it's everybody that's i think is the basic principle is consenting adults do whatever the fuck they want they should and anybody interfering with that is an asshole well, yeah, I mean, you learned a lesson at some point, I don't know where in your life, that you shouldn't legislate based on your taste, right? And that's, that, is a, that is a sexual lesson to its core. It's like, on the one hand, like, you cannot judge a sexual act from the act itself. So on the one hand, for one person, I, I say that there are, you know, if there are 8 billion people on the planet, there are 8 billion different sexualities totally individualized on the one hand if you have a person who likes being flogged you know during Mm -hmm. sex like whipped you know for one person that will be a totally liberating freeing Mm -hmm. experience cathartic ritualizing whatever for them for someone else it could be reenacting trauma and keeping them stuck in a certain state it can look like the exact same act from the outside but the inner life of that act is what really makes it healthy or not completely agreed and yeah. in fact it's not so much to me in fact that's when i insist on a word that's so it's a very poor word because there should be something better but i keep referring to vibe mm-hmm. because it's not the action itself mm-hmm. it's not even the words that are being said it's the vibe attached to it mm-hmm. that bugs me in some cases because it's like i can see how some of the talk that go with it if somebody else did it and were the exact same words i wouldn't have that much of a problem with it if that mm-hmm. same action was done by somebody with a different energy to it wouldn't bug me as much that's mm-hmm. why i'm not making specifics about oh this action or that thing it's more the the overall uh, what i pick up as energy behind it yeah i mean i think I just don't – I don't really put that on porn as much because, like, I feel that and get grossed out when I see, like, a billboard for, like, a computer or, agreed. like, a – You know, like, no, no, when agreed. I see a Burger King commercial, yeah. like, that's where it really bothers me yep. because, like, if you're going to get a bad vibe and – it's going to turn you on and you're going to f- derive pleasure from it. At least there's something redeeming about that moment. <laughs> like there's nothing redeeming about like, here's a girl in a bikini now buy this lipstick, you mm-hmm. know, or buy this like toxic product sure. that you're going to, you know, it's like, and, and at least porn consummates the relationship, <laughs> you know, right. like, whereas these ads, they get you aroused. And then, I mean, this is, th- that's what I call real objectification to dehumanization. Let's get you hard in your pants and then divert your, 
divert your arousal to a product. Yeah. At least porn is like, let's get you hard so you can come. Like there's some sort of arc there that's like right. completes itself yeah. as much more human than, you know, we're going to turn your desires into plastic. Yeah. No, I completely, completely agree there. It's funny though how when you see online especially, it's like anytime, you know, on Facebook, it can be the mildest thing in the world, a typical... Uh, last year or two when you see videos of uh, uh, women twerking and the interesting <laughs> part is when you go into the comments and you see the degree of insane attitudes about sex that prop up from a lady shaking her ass which is not a big deal there's nothing so what you know she got one she's playing with it it looks kind of cool i like that but or you don't and you leave it at that it's like i don't get it but whatever it's not a it's that's a, the devil yeah and and the typical thing is not even the crazy religious fundamentalist or okay that's beyond even the realm of discussion there but but especially women like overwhelmingly women some men too will uh, respond with the uh, your father must be proud of, mm -hmm. you know, these uh, kind of like... Know that, that woman's ass is never going to twerk because that kind of movement would probably shatter her thigh. That's a fact. Or her psyche. Yeah. No, yeah. for sure. But there's such a level where the, I get there's even the term for it, the whole idea of the slut shaming, the trying to make you feel bad because you have a sexuality, because you enjoy right. it, because somehow if you do anything that's sexual, that taints... And if you do it even for public consumption, you do it and you put it on the web, you do something that you're shaking your ass and it's on the web, somehow that taints you as a human being. Somehow that means that you cannot be a good parent and you cannot be mm -hmm. uh, He's like, what the fuck? I mean, where does that leap come from? Because you're t talking about things that have nothing to do with each other. It just know? shows you that there is really an awakening moment going on in this country that these things are opening eyes to uh, why are we this way? We sit and go, oh, they hate us for our freedom, but we're very far from a free society. <laughs> very far. <laughs> and these little cracks and crevices are really... No Something pun intended. For, you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I take credit for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I what I say always, my sort of motto, it was the first line of a book I wrote, which will never come out, um, but I still claim this line as mine, which is, uh, if you ever want to know how somebody feels about freedom, start talking about sex. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is you really get down to the completely held beliefs the beliefs of total certainty mm -hmm. um and you get down to how do you feel about an individual that's where we get when we start talking about sex is individual things oh this person likes drinking piss during sex this person likes being whipped this person is attracted to 75 year old women this person is blah 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 i can't stand it that's so gross that's no <laughs> it's different so if you really care about freedom you care about uh understanding how people can be different than mm -hmm. you and so what happens is then you have this whole like culture of unfreedom and the way that it works is that you have it's this slut shaming thing we become the enforcers of people in power without and institutions in power without ever even realizing we're doing it we think it's about sex but really we've just been completely commodified like around this you know and so we go on and it could be slut shaming someone who's twerking online it could be 
as simple and I call on everybody to stop doing this. You walk down the street with your friend and your friend says, oh, that guy is hot or she's hot. And you go, "Ugh, gross. That is a moment of you enforcing power. What you should say is, why do you think that that person's hot? You should invite that person to create a bridge between the two of you so you can begin to understand each other. I just but love freckles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you love freckles. Right. Well, yeah, whatever. Oh, whatever right. Exactly. You know, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a great yeah. response. Yeah. You Normally know, it's just being shitty to somebody just because yeah. we've sort of set up this whole society of just shit on people constantly. Yeah. It's like, oh, you like her? What well, you like? Oh, the big ass. They're like, wow. Well, like big asses. Right? Yeah, totally. Problem, you know? And and that's also the funny thing. Like when you read the the Devil's Pawn, which is online comments to anything, you know, whether it's YouTube or Facebook or stuff. When you read a lot of the posts on the major public things, now where it's just your friends, where you know, or they're gonna be, there's such a weirdness to it because it's like I mean, we know that about a hundred and thirty percent of the population consume porn pretty much to mm. one degree or another. And yeah, when you see the attitudes toward porn stars, you would think that, or at least what they say, but regardless, may not be, like they may be, they are obviously some of the same people consuming porn, and yet they will look at porn star like the scum of the earth. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wait, you watch it, mm -hmm. but somehow the person who engage in it and make the whole experience possible is bad and evil and they are trash and they are, ah, well, scum, it's like, what am I missing here? Right. No, well, like... yeah, I mean, there are a few things in there. And one is, why are we eroticizing? Uh, why are we eroticizing distance and and disdain and not liking people? Because that's part of the mm -hmm. erotic yep. landscape there. And we can start to do away with it. The other thing is, like the comment I was saying before about you walk down the street and someone says, oh, I like her. And then you say, that's gross. Sometimes people... The, the desire is really complicated. Someone might be saying, I like her because he wants to be shamed, you know? Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Because we don't have any education about what desire is, I mean, we, it's not just sex education. That's bad. No sex education is horrible. Sex education is bad in and it of itself because it's like, here's how to not get STDs when you have sex or not get someone right. pregnant. It's still negative. Then, but beyond that, we don't have any desire education. We have no idea how to confront our desires, our wants, why we want what we want, what mm -hmm. that could mean, any of that kind of stuff. We don't have any pleasure education. We don't tell kids in high school and sex ed, like, do this because it feels good. Getting a blowjob feels great. You know, like, none of that. It's like, why are we not addressing the main reason why people would do it? And so we're just telling them not to get herpes. It's like, mm -hmm. so it's all of that. There's no, there's not enough discussion about any of those things, you know. So we can't understand what our motivations are or yeah. why, you know. I find that, I don't know. I find it all too rare when people actually respond with, uh, "Hey, back off," you know, leave it. Why would you have this shitty attitude that you bring to the table <laughs> about something that you consume, but somehow you also feel guilty about it and you have to project it as? Uh, these bad people who are terrible. And I think that's what I meant by bad vibe in porn. To me, sometimes it looks like some of the scenes I see, particularly in heterosexual porn, a lot of the guys bring their vibe to it, them being in porn, yeah. you know, where there is this attitude of you whore kind of mm. thing. And it's just like, okay, I don't really dig. That's just whatever excitement was building up because I was getting, because I that lady's hot, Just you just killed it because now you're bringing some shitty judgmental judo-christian bullshit <laughs> not even judo-christian because it's like there's plenty 
there's not only there's plenty in other religions, but there's plenty of that even completely outside of a religious context. So that was actually my you know that was my bullshit in that regard because it's <laughs> not purely a Judeo-Christian thing at all no, in any way, shape, or form. So yeah. it's I don't know what it is. It's some just very anti-sex vibe that you bring in the context of you having sex with somebody and that to me makes it gross right well just to sort of push on you a yeah, little bit more means. on that i was it's kind like, of i went there because i was expect <laughs> so it's like come on so let's, well, let's play well it's like at least though it's like at least these people whoever they are whatever vibe you're getting from them, they have learned how to be naked in public in front of other people. Sure. They've learned how to have sex and perform sexual acts in in a context that is not embarrassing or shameful to them. Now, does that mean that they have, does that mean that every porn star or every porn performer or porn director or producer has all their like sexual stuff in order? Of course not. No, of course. And it's all at different stages of development. So eight years in, I'm much more advanced and together sexually than I was two years in, mm -hmm. you know, but I was making the most porn like four years in, like sure. that was like five porn a month, you know? Right. So like now it's like, you know, who you got then is different than who I am now. Sure. So it's, it's a process of development, but there are, you know, little things along the way that are, that are, that are still positive, whether or not the vibe is necessarily always there. I mean, there's also just sexual racism. I mean, that that's something that happens all the time. It's mm -hmm. like I'm now more attracted to people of all different races than I was when I started porn. And part of that was I learned detachment um, from my preferences through being in porn. Like I there was one kind of person I was really attracted to. Right. And then by having sex with all these different people and lots of them that I'm not attracted to because I'm getting paid, like I start to learn, like, why did I have that preference? Why was that there? I start to let it go more. I start to see like how constructed and stupid all my preferences are. And it just opened up this entire world of different mm -hmm. people that I started finding attractive, genuinely attractive. So there's this whole evolving process that happens for performers and you might see them at any stage in their sure. career when you watch, you no, know, of course, of course, definitely. One thing that I saw, which actually prompted, uh, prompted, what the fuck I mean, prompted, however <laughs> you say it in English. Uh, it's funny how when I catch myself and I correct, where probably I just said that there are 72 words that are not really English, and somehow <laughs> I just run right through it, and then one will really piss me off, and I'm like, no, let me try to correct that, because that makes all the differences. <laughs> this morning I got a message from somebody who... Uh, uh, this other podcast that I'm doing, History on Fire, uh, it was the the comment was, you clearly do a lot of work, the research is great, but have you considered hiring somebody to narrate it for you? Oh, <laughs> awful. And I, was like, I get it, but you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's how it is. In any case, the, <laughs> the one thing that I noticed that uh, I tweeted you and we got the ball rolling on this was um, I saw Amnesty International is switching gears and is mm -hmm. beginning to support the whole notion of decrim decriminalization for sex work mm -hmm. which to me is like the sky is blue it's like why not of course <laughs> that should be like the most basic thing in the world but it clearly hasn't been and so in that sense is a revolutionary thing that's happening do you want to give maybe for people who don't know or talking about a tiny bit of background to these and what the yeah so amnesty international did a ton of research and gathered data from experts um and concluded what most sex workers already knew which is that 
when, when sex workers decriminalize, sex workers are safer. Um, and it shouldn't matter where you stand morally on sex work. Um, if you are for the safety and, uh, and well-being, um, overall well-being of people that, of, of people, then decriminalization of sex work is really important. Um, so Amnesty International did all the research, concluded that, um, and decided to have part as part of their policy as well as like, you know, ending torture, ending war, mm-hmm. ending detainment for political views, all that kind of stuff. Let's also work to decriminalize sex work. And there was a big backlash from sex work experts like Meryl Streep and Anne Hathaway. That they um, are sexual, <laughs> sex work experts because... Uh... <laughs> yeah, whatever, because she was in Les Miserables or something. And Lena Dunham, who of all people should have known better... Um, signing this letter against against Amnesty's decision, um, never apologizing, actively using their power to make the world worse, to hurt women, to hurt LGBT youth, to hurt um, sex workers and their clients, um, and to make the world a worse place. So, you know, until those apologies are forthcoming, those fucking garbage people can go fuck themselves. But the 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 main point here is <laughs> um, the main point here is that Amnesty concluded this, and it's a huge, huge move because Amnesty, they're problematic in some ways, but they're also really well, they do a lot of great work. They're well known throughout the world, and this has the potential to really shift things in the public perspective. Just to hear that an organization like that is saying, we should be criminalize this. Right. It puts a seed of doubt in the certainty that people have, mm-hmm. you know, um, the reflexive, stupid certainty that people have. Hopefully we'll change the mind of those people that sign the letter so they can be nice, thoughtful people again <laughs> instead of knee-jerk response based on something Gloria Steinem said 30 years ago. You know, she's completely outdated and worthless now as a feminist. But you have these, um, you have these people that might hear that now, might really start to accept it and and take it in even after they did this work. And that's what I'm hoping for. So we can start really caring about sex workers and sex and work. (laughs) Yeah, because there's the obvious that, yes, anything that's coercive, anything where sex work is not voluntary and all of that shit, of course... But there are already laws against kidnapping, against 7,000 different things that that covers already. Mm-hmm. Laws about sex work are about sex work. They are not about the abusive condition. If anything, decriminalizing, and legalizing, regulating would create an environment where you, pre- you attack precisely those things that are the things that people worry about when it comes to sex work and worry even that part makes sense. You know, yeah, you don't want fucking somebody to be literally enslaved or something. That's mm-hmm. a given. But that's not sex work. That's one aspect of a whole business. The way there is in just about anything else, you're going to find the abusive aspects and you want to work to get rid of the abusive aspects so that you can keep the rest. To me, that's a mask. Is We're going to put that up because it looks more legit. We can't just say that we are disturbed by sex work in itself or otherwise people, they think they are. We are Puritan fundamentalist, which... You are, except that you don't really want to admit it and you put something else as an excuse instead. Because mm-hmm. what you said at the beginning regarding the like sex work itself is you do whatever the fuck you want. You don't want to do You don't like it. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's telling you you need to become a prostitute tomorrow. 
nobody's telling you to do it is telling that other people should have the freedom of choice to make up their own fucking mind mm -hmm. without you imposing your moral judgment on it as if it was the absolute morality that falls from the sky and that I think is also what I got a lot in those discussion is the no, but regulating and legalizing it would um, <laughs> induce many young women to start thinking. Women, by the way, because obviously it's not just, it's <laughs> only women because nobody else does, right? right? But <laughs> is, it will induce young people to um, think it's okay and make it more ac an acceptable profession. And my question is like, and your point being, you know, you're saying it like that's the devil that comes if that <laughs> right. happens. And it's like, well, if somebody thinks that that's an acceptable profession and feel okay about it, what the fuck is it to you? you well, and, and what kind of conditions do you think exist now? It's so stupid. It's like, you know, more sort of extreme version that is more directly related to violence. It's like when people make a case against anarchism, they say, well, if we didn't have a government, everything would be chaos. There would be war. People would be killing each other. People would be polluting the planet. People would be, and I'm like, what the fuck do you think is going on now? Mm -hmm. Like, why don't we aim for more freedom and see what we can do with more freedom instead of perpetuating and guaranteeing that those things are going to continue? So if you want to get rid of violence against sex workers, if you want to get rid of sexual hierarchies, if you want to get rid of mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, like, let's give ourselves an actual chance to do that and right. see what happens. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I, I personally don't care if pornography um, – can, for, for example, continues to exist even. I'm not invested in that. What I'm invested in is fighting against the sexual repression that demands things be as they are now. Sure. If we got to a place where we were sexually healthy, we probably wouldn't have pornography, right? Like pornography, we would just have sexual imagery like like Romans did, hanging on a wall. Not that they didn't have their own sexual problems, mm -hmm. but we would have frescoes of people fucking on our walls in our living rooms. We would talk about sex openly. People could have sex in public places. We wouldn't have to wear clothes all the time, all this kind of stuff. And that would bring new problems. Fine. I'm just tired of the old, same old boring fucking problems. Let's graduate into new ones. It's like getting a driver's license. I can't drive. When I get my driver's license, I can get in a car accident, but I can do a lot more with my life now. Mm -hmm. You graduate into a new problem. So it's time for that. It's time to get rid of these old problems. And if we have new ones, it's fine. Let's tackle them. But let's give ourselves a chance to not have problems. And we're not doing that with sex work. Yeah, agreed completely. And I really... I mean, I guess we are the wrong people to have this discussion to some degree because it's like we agree, so there's not even... A, it's like we are pondering what the hell it is that makes somebody think in a, such a different way. But to me, I just... It's so beyond me that is... I don't get it. I mean, on one end, I guess I do is because it's the same thing whether we're talking about sex. It's the same thing whether we're talking about non-sexual stuff. You're talking about euthanasia. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. You don't think it's good, don't fucking do it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Have other people the freedom to do what is they wish. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing as, you know, there's the whole gamut of from legal drugs to legal prostitution to euthanasia to, to me, it's all the same discussion at the end of the day. It's a discussion of wanting one's preference to be the law of the land that anybody, everybody else needs to stick to. And I think that, I mean, in that regard, I do think there's an element that there's a religious component to it, even mm -hmm. in the more secular movements, because it's the notion that there is such a thing as an absolute morality that falls from heaven mm -hmm. and that 
the right way. And going against the right way is bad, is evil, is the devil's work, and as such, it should be illegal because we're fighting the forces of evil. So to me, there is that kind of part of this origin, rather than just saying the more inclusive approach, which can be even in a religious context. There are people who are very religious, but have a very inclusive mentality. So their inclusive mentality is, this is how I do things. There may be more than my way. Doesn't mean I'm going to accept every single thing on earth. I'm going to call something. I'm going to make my judgment if I think it's bullshit. But at the same time, there's more than one way to skin the cat. So you do things differently. Hey, let's check it out. Maybe I agree. Maybe I don't. But it doesn't matter. It's your life. You decide what to do with it. That's a healthy, inclusive mentality that allows for multiple possibilities. The exclusive one, the there's one right way. And if you don't share it, we need to chop your head off. <laughs> that's problematic because it's one that basically squashes difference on every level. It squashes different viewpoints. It's the most anti-freedom of expression thing ever. It's like, no, you can express yourself, but you're still wrong and it's still going to be legal. So it's like, well, okay, thanks. You know, it's... So that's what I have a problem with. And it's funny how everybody is pro-freedom, except that when you get into the specific, it's like... <laughs> No, 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 that's not what I meant by freedom. It's like, then what the fuck do you mean? Because you're not really talking about individual rights. You know, unless freedom means also allowing other people, as long as they don't hurt any unwilling participant, but allowing other people to engage in things that you don't agree with, mm. then it's not freedom. <laughs> it's something at, else. Well, at all. And you have to, and even like, let's extend that to the people that do hurt other people, mm -hmm. truly hurt other people. It's also that freedom is freedom isn't just composed of itself it's also composed of compassion we have to work to understand the people that that do things to actually hurt other people or we're not really living in freedom even then so you know like when i say this thing before like meryl streep and lena dunham are garbage people and fuck them like i always allow myself a chance uh, and an, uh, a possibility for understanding them and also a possibility for them to apologize and a possibility for myself to forgive them. It's like no one, I mean, okay, some people have done truly like what seem irredeemable things to yep. me. And, and yet um, I need to allow myself the freedom to view them differently, allow them the freedom to change. So it's freedom that it, it, it's a, it's a freedom that's not just about that includes the people that hurt other people too. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how we cope with that. And I do believe, um, and we can get into this. I do believe in good and evil as mm -hmm. far as, um, and I do believe there's probably an absolute morality. The thing I don't believe is that we have any idea what that is. <laughs> so it's like my, my standard for what that would be is not going to be what I use to interact with other people. What I'm going to use to interact with other people is as much as possible, um, my own knowledge and desire and, and my compassion. And that's it. That's the best I can do to approximate what I think, how sure. I think the world should work. Yeah. Which seems quite a healthy attitude in that regard rather than the rabid, my way, fuck you, it's my way or the highway. Right, except when I get in fights with my boyfriend, in which case that's how I act. Suddenly, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, yeah, I sound yeah. so enlightened, but then it's like, pit, give me a parking ticket and see how I react. Like, yeah, then I'm a total asshole, yeah, you know, yeah. then I lose my shit. <laughs> no, definitely. But let's play with, um, okay, enough with just, you back into porn star hat on let's mm -hmm. just 
what are you working on writing wise um so the big project right now is writing this memoir which sounds funny because i'm 38 but it, uh, uh writing about uh, a life that's sort of lived in contradictions what that means to have you know i studied science and the humanities i'm a spiritual person but i'm also a very sexual person all that kind of thing so working on that that's a bigger project but the smaller things are i'm just writing about authors that i like i've i've had this series and this is related to sex but i've had this series on my blog called the sex radicals every week over the summer which is about a different sexually radical thinker that we've forgotten Ida Craddock, this woman who in the 19th century taught women to love their vaginas and said she was married to an angel. Um, Charles Fourier, the utopianist who said there was a sexual minimum where everybody should have minimum amount of sex in their lives and that the oceans should be made out of lemonade and we should have access to every food that we like. You know, this big utopian thinker, um, Jacques Lacan, the French psychoanalyst who just really delved into understanding that we're all sort of uh, almost schizophrenic in our egos and how how that relates to sex. So I've done all of that, but I'm really moving into this place of just, I want to write about, I'm writing fiction, you know, which is how I started writing. Nice. Um, yep. I'm writing, I wrote this essay about this writer that I really like, Joy Williams. She's a novelist and I, uh, and a short story writer, and that essay will be coming out soon. Writing an essay about how writers interact with each other. So my mind is really in this sort of like book world, which is where mm -hmm. I have spent a lot of my life um right now and uh but the sex thing will never first of all the sex thing will never completely leave because that's what people hire me for sure <laughs> to talk about and to and to write about yeah, and stuff i mean but but and and i'm really interested in it but um but there's all these other things that i'm i'm doing right now um yeah no that makes perfect sense I remember you were gonna do a book with this info. Is that gone or that's gone? I dissolved yeah. the contract. Yeah, um, did I feel right? Oh anymore? yeah, I was having really bad interactions with them, and oh. not. I mean, I don't want to. Uh, I, I will not allege anything that they did, but I'll just say I wasn't happy with my relationship with them. So the way things played uh, out. Gotcha. Yeah, so I dissolved the contract, um, and I still have that book but it, i've been just putting it out in pieces like this set series is part of the book that i've been doing on my blog okay. and um and it was awesome i mean i spent two and a half years writing a book you know and i learned so i became a scholar in that time about sex which is very strange mm -hmm. you know um and for people who don't know it was a book that was going to be very much in the vein of your book um about religion mm -hmm. your first book about religion 50 things you're 50 not supposed things, to know right, right. um and but it was going to be about sex and um but it was going to be slightly different and it just sort of played out in a way that i wasn't really happy with um so but i but that's all that book is in me now so you, you know still you still want to do it you think as far as getting something like that published or are you happy with the fact that you're kind of putting pieces of it all over in your work and yeah that's the way I would do it differently now, okay. you know, um, I, I wouldn't put that book out now, you gotcha. know, which is, that's my own thing. It had nothing to do with them. Like sure. now looking sure, at that sure, book, sure. I'm like, this book is kind of a mess. Um, <laughs> but I, but, uh, it'll come out, that kind of stuff will come out in, in series, maybe in its own book, whatever. Right. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of an industry that's, <laughs> it's revamping. Yeah. I mean, it's different, right? I mean, it's like, it used to be that, uh, 
like making money with books now unless you write harry potter good fucking luck mm. or unless which i've heard that quite a few of and this is the magic of literary agents sometimes which by the way hate me and i've never found one who mm. remotely tolerated me but the um, sometimes through strange voodoo i've seen people get ridiculously large advances on books that a five-year-old can tell you that it's not going to sell 10 copies. You know, it's obvious that it's not going to go anywhere. But I've seen people make crazy money on books that obviously go nowhere afterwards. And uh, so that's one way you can make money. But that's like the equivalent of winning the lottery because it's like, <laughs> you know, there are so many things that have to go right for that to happen. Yeah. Or, yeah, you strike luck and you write Harry Potter after, you know, 202 editors have just rejected it and then you hit the right thing and it becomes a viral hit. And it's, But to me, it seemed like as a career, working with books is you pretty much have the same odds as playing the lottery you know it's <laughs> just like uh, you know you yeah. can do it because you love it you can do it for fun you can do it because you can be perfectly happy with the fact that a thousand people are gonna read your stuff or maybe more but you know the idea being still the market the market is more in terms of the yeah. most unless you have some gigantic hookup with a publisher that push it forward at every occasion and make you appear on opera you're out of luck. Right. You know. Yeah. But it's not I, all about the money. I mean, don't you get the, you know, just the satisfaction of completing it? Absolutely. No, and in fact, that's what I'm saying to me. I'm not saying don't write a book. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying don't write a book thinking that you're going to make a living oh, on no. it. Because yeah. if by random luck you actually make some money, then you have to churn one out right away mm. and be, it's like, you know, it's not exactly a long-term proposition where it can work for more than... Unless, again, you be, make it to superstar statues and... Uh, I guess with any sort of art, you know, if you're going in and think you're going to make money off of it, you're a fool. Right. You should be doing it because you love it and for no other reason. Right. Painting, I think, whatever. I think I think the, the trick for writers at this point and the advice that I would have for writers is build a platform before your book comes out. So mm -hmm. get tons... If you just want to write, get tons of essays published. If you can do something else that makes you interesting in addition to being a writer, then that's really good. People will listen to you. It'll sell your book immediately, right? Like... If if your first book came out now, mm -hmm. you would sell so much better. You have twenty four thousand Twitter followers. You would or something think now. so, but but if you could, if you can find a way, like to get every person that follows you on Twitter to buy one of your books, which that's difficult. Mm -hmm. But if you could, sure. then that's a bestseller. Right, right, right. right, <laughs> like right. That's a, no, that's a big deal book. But also, some of the mechanics have changed. So oddly enough, like my first book that was written when I had my mom knew who I was and that was about it there was no one else who mm. had any clue there was no publicity there was no there was nothing right there was mm. no support it was well distributed mm. so you would browse in the bookstores and it was there well there were bookstores a lot of mm. them you know and I don't mean just the independent one here one there there was like the big chains where they would always shelf a certain way so if you went into the section that interests you that one was under martial arts you would run into it at every single borders bars and noble in the country so slowly but it actually sold i mean again mm. consider and also that's where the contracts come in you know the author is the last guy to get paid on a book <laughs> it's like just about everyone else makes money on it and then there's a minor tiny fraction mm. that the author will get but you know that was uh in some way it was harder because i did not have a quote-unquote platform in some ways it was easier because there was 
people bought more books there were more bookstores there were all of that stuff going on so it's like they almost even out you know it's like now to sell the same that i did with my first book with no platform i need to have a huge platform to sell the same yeah but you're but that the first book is a much easier sell it's mm -hmm. like it's i mean it's a book that people can read a tiny bit of there's nothing continuous it's like there's no effort it's like let me just pick this up and like look through it you know whereas this one is i mean i'm not saying there's not challenging things in the first mm -hmm. one there definitely are but this newer one is like uh is it takes a lot more mind to i guess my first one with. so i was saying uh, not oh. the 50 things one oh, i was referring the... to on the warrior's path which oh. was back in so 2000 I'm so i'm totally wrong no no but that was saying. because <laughs> that was already even 50 things was already when the big yeah, 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 bookstore yeah. had gone you yeah. know it was published in 2011 that's when already that was happening yeah on the warrior's path was 2003 yeah it's a long fucking time yeah, ago yeah, yeah. that makes a You're whole right. big difference yeah, that, in that regard. that's a complete 2003 is a completely yeah. different time i think um anyway i think that having a platform it, if for nothing else than getting published mm -hmm. in the first place is, as a book is really good so yep. develop that but what i think publishers should do <laughs> i have advice for every industry and <laughs> i know nothing but my big problem with publishers is that so so everybody will say like well like they're just sort of throwing shit at a wall and see what sticks you know and my big problem is that they know 90% of it isn't going to sell right so if you know that and year after year after year you know that and that's where it's going what they should do instead is take their 10% that they know are going to be hits your book by Tina Fey and mm -hmm. a book by whoever whatever other tv person writing some haha -ha book you know um so, you know whatever popular biography is going to come out these books that you know are going to sell make them be your money makers and then everything else you put out make it good right you know and the same amount of that stuff will hit or not hit yeah. but stop putting out crap hoping it'll sell right get rid of all the shit and put out really truly good books and there are some smaller presses that are doing just that you know gray wolf it has had these hits and they're they were a small press but then they put out james franco's book for instance mm -hmm. which i'm sure is not a good i haven't read it but i'm gonna be kind of sure is not like the best book sorry if if James Franco listens to this podcast, maybe it's great. I have no idea. But I'm just going to take a guess and say, like, the celebrity books are usually not the really great literature. Sure. And so you have – but they did that knowing, like, look, this is going to carry us. Mm -hmm. So because this is going to carry us, we can put out good stuff. Yeah. And then absolutely. they had some hits. They had, like, I think a Pulitzer Prize winner. They had yep. some bestsellers. It's like – you know, and they were good. No, that works. Yeah. Absolutely. So why not do that? Why not put out good stuff instead of putting out shit hoping it'll succeed? Put out good stuff hoping it'll succeed instead of make, making everybody dumber and fucking up the literary culture. You know? Well, I think also some of the problem is that there are obviously smart people in the publishing industry, mm. but there's also a monstrous amount of people who don't know their ass from their head in so <laughs> many ways. And so it's not only that they don't know what's going to sell, which they don't, Yeah. but they have... like if you hit them on the head with the greatest masterpiece on earth, it would, they would still not see it, right. you know? So there's also that issue that is like, you know, is, and that's, you know, I think that goes with any industry. It's, uh, you need uh, somebody who has a particular eye to be able to catch it. And it's not always the easy thing, mm -hmm. but having said that, yeah, I agree with in some ways, like enough bitching about the past of how it was easier to sell at another mm -hmm. point. The fact is today, because of building, 
platforms, which is a term that we would have never even had 15 years ago or something, you can do things that maybe reach a smaller audience and you actually live with better. You know, it's like if I said when I did this uh, lecture series about Taoism, where it was like just 16 lectures from 20 minutes to an hour each, or maybe less, 40 total seven hours of stuff, sell them no publicity, no nothing, sell it only through my website, nothing else. And of course, I'm going to reach less people than with a book that it's in bookstores all over, but I'm actually going to make more money mm. because it's, even if I sell it for less than a book, it's still, uh, other than PayPal taking a cut and taxes, the rest is it's all you. Mm. There's, there's not that 72 middlemen who are going to make money on it and then you get your 73rd right. cut. Yeah. So it's like that's where platform kicks in. You know, you can sell, uh, shit, if you sell a thousand copies of something, you're already making money. Right. Not totally. the money that you're going to leave on forever, but, you know, something that mm -hmm. makes it at least like, hey, look at that. Not only did I do something that was fun, but I actually, we got to go on vacation on this money and we got, it's like, hey, that's a win. That right there works. Yeah, and you look at the people who are doing – you look at people who are doing, um, like, self-help and, like, health stuff, mm -hmm. and a lot of those people are making a ton of money oh, yeah. because they get their business shit in order, and so, like, they can write the most boring book ever, like, about gluten or whatever the fuck they're going to write about, but they have it down. So they're like, okay, I have 5,000 Twitter followers. If I can get all those people to give me 20 bucks each, I'm making a ton of money. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, and that's how they view it. It's like, but we don't, like, if you're a writer and artist, you don't think about it. But I think I have 33,000 Twitter followers. If I get them to give me $10 each, oh, like, man, you're that's done. A, shh, I yeah. can live off that of for course. a few years, yeah. you know? Then, like, again, like, you tell me these, like, you have this, like, well, maybe it'll hit. Like, I found out my friend the other day got $200,000 for advance for a book. And I'm like, what the How fuck is that are even possible? Doing, yeah, yeah. you know? But that stuff still does happen. And what I think we also need to do is encourage that stuff to happen for writers sure. rather than just accepting that it will never happen again. Be like, this is how we should be treating people, you know? I guess part of the issue that I have with that system, though, is that um, so much of the time, by the time you get that advance, half of the time is not your book anymore. Yeah. In the sense that you came up with a pitch, an agent said, that's great, except that you, we <laughs> need to rechange about 50% on it. Otherwise, we are not going to be able to sell it. Mm -hmm. And so you make okay, still my book, but I'm going to cut this and that. I'm going to add this chapter. I'm going to focus more on this. I'm going to do this other thing, make it more journalistic. Then it goes to the publisher who say, yes, we kind of want it, but you need to cut another 20% here that doesn't. <laughs> and, you know, by the time you are done, not even done, by the time even you have a contract for that book where that outline, that deal, that's the setup, half of the time it doesn't even resemble your book. So, again, if it goes back to the two polarities if you are into to make money who cares you're a good writer you give them whatever the fuck they want they give they do some whipping and tell you do it this way make sure to do that you do it and they pay you you know you want to do your book you that stuff is gonna make you throw up it's right. gonna be like you know what if you want the book to be like that how about you fucking write it and i'm gonna write my own you know right. how about we do it that, that way instead and get it to more people probably yeah. then I, th I think it's just I think in general, like just to sort of pull it out of this publishing discussion, which is probably interesting to some people, but boring to others who are listening, it's like what the, 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 we have a responsibility, I think, to make 
art, you know, the the real art we want to make. And that's not just like we, we talk about it in the we're talking about it in, in this butting against this one force which is people that want to make money helping us make Mm -hmm. our art and we don't need them anymore we can put it out ourselves or we can blah 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 blah. but actually mostly the real problem when we're making art is not those people is that we're lazy is that artists are lazy and they're making shitty art and so like we we always want to blame like corporations for dumbing everybody down but it's actually mostly (laughs) the fault of like lazy artist after lazy artist after lazy artist i mean was the last time you saw art literature a movie that wasn't derivative of some other thing it's like and i don't need people to be totally avant-garde where it's like this is a new thing i'm doing this new artistic shocking thing but how many people are doing real deep profound complex art anymore that is itself and doesn't just remind you of something else that's not happening and that that's way more the fault of just individuals being lazy being you know just spitting stuff out as much as possible you know and that that does interact with economy of course but you know i i'm i want people to take responsibility for themselves as well you know but that's what to me i guess is uh i'm less interested in um i don't care if it's original or not i care Mm. if it's good or not if i like it I don't give a fuck if it can be the same story that I've seen 52 other times, but if you did it in a way that still uh, tickled my soul, I'm into it. You know, I don't mind seeing the same. Because ultimately, especially when you talk about fiction, mm. it's a lot like you read all the big uh, screenwriting books. They all tell you <laughs> there are 10 stories out right, there. Right. You know, it's yeah. like there are archetypes and that's it. You can reinvent the archetype. You can play with the archetype. But at the end of the day, there are archetypes. And so... In that scenario to me is, I see what you're saying as far as, for me at least, is less about the originality of it. For me, it's about the, it needs to come out of your soul. It needs to be something mm-hmm. that you so badly want. Mm-hmm. Now, does it fit that already existing archetype? I don't care. If you if it's truly your passion, if it's that way, it's probably going to communicate in a way that's powerful, that's intense, that's and I'll dig it. Half of the problem is when you are just pretty, it's like, hmm, wouldn't it be cool to do a book or I want it's like it's somebody who has more the I want attention mm-hmm. I'm gonna do this shit because I want attention I don't really know what the fuck I'm go- I want to do it's not <laughs> even the point because at the end of the day the point is I want the attention mm-hmm. so it's not really coming out of who they are at the core that they have to get this book or mm-hmm. piece of music or movie out is what is that's gonna help me be noticed and get attention yeah and, and I, I mean I think yeah, the the originality thing. It's like I agree with you. There are there are archetypal stories, and those are our sort of muses. That's what we translate our art through. I don't think that that's all that there is, because I think that the world changes. Mm-hmm. So because the world changes, there are new forms, new archetypes. You know, it's like I remember when I was in grad school uh, talking to one of my professors um, about writing and she was like well i don't think there can be anything such as a new a new story i was Mm -hmm. like well why don't i write a story about a panda eating a manatee in a skyscraper that'll be new you know (laughs) like i was like there's a new thing it depends where you want to put the emphasis you know but i think what with the originality thing or manatee yeah, I know. So the manatee should be eating the panda, actually, if I really want, to, really want to make it avant-garde. But the, 
But the point with the originality thing is, you know, Gary Lockman, do you know him? Mm -hmm. He was in Blondie and he writes all these books about consciousness and Mm -hmm. the occult now. And he points out like originality. I mean, other people point this out too, but it means touching the origin. It doesn't mean something completely severed from it, totally new. It's a new way to see originality. So, So what I want is art that understands its history, understands where it's coming from, and really goes deeper into it. I mean, novelty is such a... It, novelty is the culture we live in now. And like New experience, new experience, mm-hmm. new experience. I don't care about that that much. I mean, I love it sometimes, but what I care more is about deepening my capacity, and that's art should be doing that job now. Like, let's go deep, 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 deep until, you know, you really have an expansive experience of something instead of like, here's something new. Here's right, the right. newest thing. Yeah. You know? yeah, no, I completely agree. And on that note, speaking of deep, 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 did you guys see the trailer for the <laughs> TV series based on uh, Bruce Campbell, Ash and the Evil oh. Dead? <laughs> <laughs> That's when I think about intellectual production, that's what I dig personally. <laughs> I'm like, fuck this and that. You know, this French avant garde, fuck that. Give me Ash and the Evil Dead and Bruce Campbell with the shotgun, and I'm perfectly happy. But no, it's funny. No, it's, I, don't, I, I, I did hear about that. I haven't seen like, a, is there like a trailer genius. or anything? Yeah, pure oh, genius. Okay. Yeah, no, I actually, you know, I. I have a very, in that sense, I have a Quentin Tarantino feel mm. for culture. I like, to me, but that's the difference. It's like Paris Hilton and Quentin Tarantino, theoretically, they all thrive on pop culture. Mm. But one, one is fucking genius. It's hilarious. It cracks mm. you up. It's brilliant. And the other one is just pop culture in the, oh, fuck, really? There's that. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like. I love that you compared. I love that Paris Hilton was your counterpoint. To well, you know, because it's like it's the it's, it's the celebrity based on nothing. You know, right, right, it's the right, celebrity right. based yeah. on the fact that there's no there's nothing to it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you re- if you watch the average Tarantino movie, I mean, most people say, "Oh, Tarantino, what a genius!" But the reality is, you know, you see the setup mm. is designed to be the most, in some way, anti-intellectual stuff there is, mm. and thriving on it. But he does it in a way that's so fucking smart that actually works, mm. you know. So it's to- then, of course, here you enter into the realm of personal taste, where what uh, speaks to you for one reason the other person look at the exact same thing and hears a completely different message that's also there but that's not what you focus so that those are those discussions that then become kind of impossible because it's like you know it's like music it's like you listen to differentiate and you hear different singing in it and that's why some people dig it and some people don't mm-hmm. but um yeah i mean i think i think it's like it, it's, it's interesting because i don't really like quentin tarantino <laughs> i really love death proof that's the only movie of his that i truly love and i love true romance which he wrote but did not but tony scott directed i mean that's an excellent movie but um but the rest of it seems so derivative to me. It's like, okay, like I see all these other filmmakers that I really mm-hmm. love that have done this. And ev- of course, everybody knows that about him. Of course, mm-hmm. he's like a great – he is a pastiche artist. That's what he does. Right. But to me, um, his, his – it, it doesn't it doesn't strike the chord that I wanted to. If we want to get technical, actually, I use Tarantino. For me, he would be more Robert Rodriguez, which is uh-huh. this uh, – Yes close body but if I want to get into I think about Tarantino movies but I think about I actually dig the Rodriguez movies more mm-hmm. it's the same flavor you know it's the same mm-hmm. thing but it's the like the first scene city to me I was just like god damn it that's like I don't want to watch any other movie for the next six months mm. I'm going to watch Six City over and over and over 
for the next. Have you ever seen this movie Detention? Do you know this movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a it <laughs> that to me is one of the best versions of the thing we're talking about even though it's not um it it's totally it's totally derivative, but it's so over the top, yeah. crazy, nonstop, obnoxious, obnoxious movie. And that's what I, yeah. I, I like. Even when I watch the, the Rodriguez movies, like I want more. Right. Like, I right, want you to right. just like drag right. me through absolute insanity. You know, which yeah. is also why I like the Evil Dead movies. Yeah, and why course. I like Drag Me to Hell. Like why I like a lot of yeah. what Sam Raimi does. Like I want something that is really Tex Avery cartoon, like with the eyeballs popping out of the wolf's house. You know, yeah. like I want it to just be bonkers. You know, Army of Darkness. When you start yes. a movie <laughs> with uh, I am a slave in thirteen twenty. Or whatever the fuck it is, life wasn't always this way. <laughs> yeah, good, bad. Speaking, we're talking about good and evil. Good, bad. Uh-oh. I'm the one with the gun. <laughs> In any case, before we degenerate any further, anything stuff you're doing that you want people to know about your Twitter, your you know the whole. No, I mean I would just say if you <laughs> this is. Uh, I mean, yeah, just follow me on Twitter at Connor Habib, C-O-N-N-E-R-H-A-B-I-B. Um, and that will just lead you to everything else. I don't have any other social media um, except a blog. So uh, I, you know, like I, I talk at places all the time. So colleges, I talked at Museum of Modern Art in New York, like I at their PS1 dome. I do that. And that's I would love if people like want to see me like book me like find a way to get me to your school or your organization or Mm -hmm. whatever and i talk about a lot of things i think um i really am excited that people are engaging with me around different things lately Mm -hmm. and again not because i have any desire to move away from the sex stuff so much as i have this desire to move toward all these other things that i'm really excited about and so you know people email me now a lot about occult stuff or spiritual stuff i have a comic book coming out later this year check you um, out <laughs> it, it's it, it's a one it's a short comic in an anthology of comics but there are other people diamanda galas um who else is in there joe lansdale i think is in there um these like horror is because a mm-hmm. co- compilation of horror comics that i did with this artist amit ulan and that's the kind of stuff that i'm really excited about right now so if people like are down with that like hit me up because i i I love that my you know i think i think maybe like a good way to sort of typify where my mind has always been at but is really at right now is that you know what i think the biggest one of the biggest problems we're facing in our culture right now is this um intensification of specialization Mm -hmm. and expertise and you know in writing this sex radical series i'm still waiting to write the last one which is who's a sex radical today and i found myself stumped i was all set to write it and then i was like who really is a a, a sex radical now of course there's chris ryan there's my friend christopher donahue there's my friend mona altahawi all doing these interesting things in context well chris donahue is a big thinker but there's there's this sort of specialty that's going on as a specialization i was like but who's a big thinker like charles fourier or wilhelm reich or these people that i'm you know making portraits of that have like big pictures of the universe that investigate all sorts of things and i found myself really depressed that there weren't that many people doing Mm -hmm. that and so 
you know, to sort of give a picture of myself, but also where I'm going and what I hope for other people. Um, not that this is what you asked me. You asked me what my Twitter was, but <laughs> to go is is that people investigate everything that they're interested in, mm-hmm. and they go into all of it. You know, um, find your way into it. You know, and and that's um, that that's where we're at right now. Is people are so insular, stuck, um, microscopically focused, whether it's in the humanities and the sciences, in their jobs, in their families, whatever. And we need more people thinking about lots and lots of things at once, because otherwise you can't really apprehend the world. It's just one note, you know, um, it might be a beautiful note, but it's just one. So, um, that's my Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's a long one man. I didn't know they allowed so many characters in their <laughs> Twitter handle nice cool man well let's roll thank you so much yeah awesome hanging out See, that was a great interview. That's all there is to it. Of course it was. What a good time. A long time coming. We were trying to set it up forever, and uh, I'm glad we finally made it happen. A couple of things. Uh, before we even get into shout out to a few people. Uh, one, there's a podcast that I've been checking out. I strongly recommend. It's... History on Fire. Well, there's that. Oh. Yeah, no, not that one. <laughs> there's uh, a guy by the name of Daryl Cooper. He's writing this podcast called Martyr Made. Martyr Made is... Um, it's interesting. So far, he has explored primarily, actually, he's only the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. He'll move on to other topics down the road. But clearly, the dude is not thinking of doing podcasting as a business because he obviously had the worst business plan in the history of the universe because each one of his episodes are, are over four hours long, mm-hmm. uh, releases at Dan Carlin frequency. The title Martyr Made is not exactly the one that draws you in and makes you think, you know. So there's a lot of things that you may think, what the hell is going on? Man, is he good. You know, his delivery, the way he can, it's amazingly good quality, tackling a really delicate topic with serious skill. So if you have any interest in such thing, I strongly recommend it. He got to call it the Gordian Knot. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that would do it too. Oh, and speaking of which, we had uh, somebody who's been listening to us Kristaps Andrejsons. I totally fuck it up, but it's former Soviet Union, explaining the former Soviet Union to Westerners in what he calls the Eastern Border Podcast. So, a couple of new podcasts for you guys to check out in case you're interested. It's funny, I've been listening to something called uh, Limetown, which is about a a city that just sort of disappeared in rural Tennessee where strange experiments were going on. It's just a fake... You know, they're making the story up, sure. but, but they reveal it like uh, an investigative journalist is tracking it down. and Like an Orson Welles, uh, War much. of the Wars kind of a thing. A lot of that going sort of like that serial one that was the big hit, but I think that was an actual story. Right. This is just, they're just making up some up. foolishness. I dig it. Fun. I dig it. Oh, and speaking of shout out, uh, Aum, Aum Winery. Oh, I thought it was Duncan. <laughs> I know, I thought so too. No, it's A U M. Um, winery they make this awesome organic wine they sent me some i'm deeply deeply thankful so 
the nectar of Dionysus has been provided. Is it dark red grapes or is it? Yes, it's glorious red wine, organic, doesn't give you a headache. So if you like like wine, check them out. I'll put the link in the episode notes. Having said that, shall we thank the sweet folks that we haven't thanked in like three gazillion months since we were recording back to back who have donated? They certainly deserve it. Yeah, there's a long list. So let's go. Good. Yeah, I mean, it's also <laughs> 72 months worth of stuff here. Oh, it's but really it's, not that bad. It was um, six weeks. Yeah. Let the pottering begin. David Peterson, Raghav Singh, Gordon Cinco, Joshua Benton, Ryan Phillips, the rock and roll shaman, Devon Conway, or Devon Conway, not sure. Oh, I'm going to have a hard time with our next gentleman. Uh, Shri Patmakantan. I have no idea. You sure it's a gentleman? Shri? No, no, it's S-H-R-E. R-I. Shri Patmakantan. Shri Patmakantan. I think I can do it. Oh, probably not. Adam Wisniewski. Robert Primus. Barry, Barry? Barry Tessier. Chris Talent. Jonathan Waterloo. Alexander Kuzner. Maurizio Mezzatesta. David Peterson. Aaron McLaughlin, Karen Dubow, Karen Dubowie, Dubowie. What do you think? Du- du- or Dubowie, perhaps, with the long O. That could be. Aaron Borkham, Sergio Gustinetti, Lisa Robles, Sam Robinson, Jabbar Kaji Reed, and Timo Koske. Wow, what a giant list. Thank you so much, everybody. Sweet folks. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are good people. Uh, remember that even if you don't feel like donating but you want to help us out which is a sweet thought if you can use our Amazon link that helps like you wouldn't believe so please always remember when you do your shopping just go through our link and you help us a whole lot doesn't cost you an extra cent help us a whole bunch links for all our sponsors that's Usara with the greatest hemp gear on the planet onnit.com with a whole range of amazing products and sure design t-shirts with t-shirts, pants, jewelry, you name it. Keep it consensus to march along, keepit.org. Please join your fellow friends. There's over like 160 of us going right now. And we had a like four-day span before Christmas where the $1,200 in donations. So it's approaching $40,000, which is just Jesus, ridiculous. That's... And, uh, you know, I actually got a letter from a fellow that was sort of questioning me because apparently microloans is sort of a new scam really in a lot of the countries there's a lot of these big banks that are joining in and hassling people in their old credit card ways and so it didn't it it frightened me enough to actually take a peek and give a call and they don't work this way i mean it literally is the cash is on the barrel head these people they're not if the loan doesn't come back it's it's we who lose it they're not going to chase it you know there's no sort of heavy guy leaning on you. We got you. And the payback is still above 98%. So awesome. that doesn't exist at the Bank of America, I promise no, you. That definitely does not. Anyway, as I learn more details, um, but from everything I can see, the organization is still completely legit. Good. So keep it honest and keep us updated on it. Uh, you are running late on Valentine's Day's gifts and ideas. Coracao Chocolate has some fairly awesome stuff out there. So check them out. Thank you to Daisy House Music for the good stuff. New record. New record came out. No way. I didn't see that. I'm going to play a track in the mid-February episode. Beautiful. Let's do that. Anything else that we need to mention? I think that covers it. Another great episode. Connor, thanks so much. Um, I was really impressed with all the information I got. It, it, it forced me to think in different ways. And what's more important than a conversation that does that for you? Well, that's excellent. That's definitely can't beat that. 
So on that note, you guys have a wonderful day. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as soon as they come out. You can keep track of Daniel at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. That's R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N, the numeral one. See y'all soon. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenze di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great. Fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. We've been yeah, having a great hour here. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and... Uh, uh, your accent, it just... Whatever that movie is you were trying to tell me about... Can you translate for me, please? I believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that one, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. We're recording, right? Yeah. Okay. Get back to work.